show with two retired detectives that were in the thick of New York crime, fast and hectic. They got some stories and some jokes, even an interview with the most popular folks. Off the cuff, off the cuff, one episode just ain't enough. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, Bill Cannon. I'm a 27-year retired veteran of the NYPD. And with me tonight, and most nights, my co-host, straight out of Brooklyn, retired NYPD detective, Phil Grimaldi. How are you doing tonight, Phil? I'm doing pretty good, Billy. I think we had a pretty good coffee with Cannon this afternoon. That was <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't want to give away all the secrets, though, so I laid back a little bit, because tonight we're going to reveal the cat is coming out of the bag tonight. Yeah. We have a very special guest, and uh, his name is John Pellucci, and he's a retired NYPD crime scene sergeant, and he has a company called CSI Experts Incorporated, and he's an expert on ballistics and all things crime scene. And we're going to talk about the interview of Alec Baldwin last night on ABC with uh, George uh, Stephanopoulos. Um, we're going to do an examination. The big One of the biggest things, the questions that come out of this is, can a gun fire without pulling the trigger? And I am by no means a ballistic expert, but our guest tonight, John Pellucci, is, and he's going to address that situation. The second part of this and the big mystery question is, how did a live round get into that firearm? Uh, you know, when, when, he, when they used the misnomer prop gun, this was absolutely not a prop gun. This was a real forty-five caliber revolver that could fire a real forty-five caliber round, which it did, and resulting in the death of Halna Hutchins and the wounding of the movie's producer. Uh, so, it's it's we want to get to the bottom of some of the mystery of this. But what I want, first want to do is I want to show a little bit of uh, the interview of Alec Baldwin last night with um, George Stephanopoulos. And it, it's it's sort of um, in one way a little bit incredible. I'm, well, I'm going to have you, I'm going to have you listen to what he says, and then we'll dissect it a little bit. Oh, you've got no sound, of course. A dental shot, an angle that may not have ended up in the film at all, but we kept doing this. New so then I said to her, "Now in this scene, I'm going to cock the gun." I said, do you want to see that? And she said, yes. So I take the gun and I start to cock the gun. I'm not going to pull the trigger. I, I said, do you see that? She goes, well, just cheat it down and tilt it down a little bit like that. And I cock the gun. I go, can you see that? Can you see that? Can you see that? And she says, and then I let go of the hammer of the gun and the gun goes off. Wow. So he let go of the hammer on the gun and the gun goes off. John, can that, can that happen? Well, here, here's the thing. Uh, first of all, hey, stop uh, with your crime scene stuff. Can that happen? <laughs> well, it can with a defective firearm. All right, all right. Let's. I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you the whole screen, and I want you to demonstrate what you showed us earlier, and pretend that the, our whole audience 
is a class of CSI paid people that pay to take your class, not people like like us, people that pay to take your class and show the demonstration so they can understand much clearer of what occurred on this movie set. John Pellucci, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much, as Elvis would say. So for, essentially, first of all, uh, what we want to start with is operability. There's a distinction that needs to be made between an accidental discharge, which is nomenclature people use all the time, and uh, unintentional firing, right? An accident is an accident. It means that you have a defective firearm, right? So that's an accidental discharge versus an unintentional firing where you have a fully functioning weapon that you just, it's operator error, you mishandle it. So we're dealing with revolvers. Let me first start with a cartridge, right? So this is a cartridge in this hand right here. This is a cartridge, it's not a bullet. So a cartridge has four components. You have the bullet, you have the cartridge case. On the bottom, you have the primer, which is impact sensitive, that little circle in the middle there, right? And then you have the powder that's inside. So now the only way you're gonna discharge a firearm, and we're talking about a firearm that takes a conventional cartridge, not like a musket or something like that. The only way it's gonna discharge is if there's impact to this primer and then that initiates the powder burning and causes the bullet to be forced out of the muzzle of the firearm right so here we have a primer right you see there's no see that circle in the middle there right and here's another primer this one's been fired so you see there's a ding in the middle of it right that's from the firing pin striking it okay and that's the only way this firearm is going to discharge is if if the firing pin strikes it so if you have a fully functioning firearm, this is a revolver. This is a single and double action revolver, okay? Always before you do anything, demonstration or otherwise, you check and you make sure that it's not loaded. I can see this is not loaded, okay? This is called the cylinder, right? Within the cylinder, you have chambers, right? So you can put a cartridge in each one of these chambers, right? One of the first things I noticed when I read, I read a couple articles, I haven't been following this thing too closely, but uh, that they call this a drum, right? And, and then there's a loading gate, they call it a hatch. So you're supposed to be an armor on the set, like an armor and a gunsmith. Uh, an armor essentially can take a gun apart and replace parts and put it all back together. In order to do that, you kind of know, need to know what the parts are called. So they're telling me that they don't know what the parts are called when they call this a drum. Right. So this is a double action revolver. The reason it's double action, it's actually single and double action. When I pull the trigger, right, I pull the trigger, see the hammer goes back, right, and then it drops. Two things happen. I pull the trigger, hammer goes back, hammer drops. That's two things. That's double action. I could also fire this in single action where I pull the hammer back and then pull the trigger. Notice what happens to the trigger when I pull the hammer back. The trigger goes back. It's much more sensitive in single action. Single action is very sensitive. So I pull the trigger and the hammer drops. Now, if we look at this part of the firearm right here, this is called the firing pin aperture. Look at that hole right there. Okay, I'll come in from this side. Everything's reversed. So I'm kind of going backwards here. See that hole? That's the firing pin aperture, right? Now I have to hold this cylinder release. You don't see any, watch, when I pull the trigger, see the firing pin coming through that hole? Okay, firing pin comes through the hole. 
it strikes the primer on the cartridge and a shot's fired. That's how it works, right? I could put, I could do a double action. I got to hold this thing back. Okay, you see my see the firing pin coming through the aperture, striking the primer, right? I can take this thing and pull it halfway back all day long. Do you see the firing pin? No. When I pull the when I pull the uh, sorry when I pull the uh, hammer back, now you see the firing pin. Okay. These guns are designed to be safe, so that even idiots can handle them. Right. This is a single action. This is what they're dealing with. So this is a more modern. This is a more modern revolver. Right. This one here is. This is the kind of thing that. You know, we used to carry on patrol if you're a dinosaur, right? John, even though even though this is not a 45 caliber like was used in the movie, this is a replica gun similar in style. It's a 22 caliber, but it's yes. an old time gun, and it's for your purposes of this demonstration, it's a single action revolver, and you can do the demonstration, and it 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 operates exactly like the 45 does, correct? Exactly, yeah. I mean, there might be a couple differences in terms of a firing pin and stuff like that. But the whole thing is this gun is actually the, the serial number comes back as a peacemaker. Right. And the peacemaker is the old Colts like that Wyatt Earp used to carry and stuff like that. So this isn't even a replica. This is just a 1975 version of one of those firearms. Right. So now the way these are loaded. You see, this is called a loading gate. Right. The cartridges have to be loaded one at a time. See how the cylinder is locked, right? I can't turn this to load or unload. The only way to do that is to put it in this half cocked position, right? This is fully cocked. This is half cocked. Once I half cock it like that, I can turn this cylinder. It's not a drum. It's a cylinder to each individual chamber. Right, and I can hit this ejector rod, see the ejector rod coming out, and I can eject uh, discharge cartridge cases, right? And then I can go to the next one and the next one. That's why you see, like in the old westerns, you know, when they're when they're you know uh, emptying out the gun after they get into a fire, you know, into a firefight, right? So you do it one at a time. Same thing with loading it; it's loaded one at a time, right? Loaded one at a time. Okay, and the way you do that is with this half cock safety right so now you remember how i was able on this uh revolver i can kind of pull the, the hammer back halfway or most of the way and we still don't see the firing pin come through the aperture right remember we saw that this is a totally different story because i need this half cock to turn the cylinder right to do my loading and unloading that's that's a built-in mechanism to these old-time single-action uh, revolvers, and that's what they were using on the set. So now, when I pull the I pull the uh, hammer all the way back, the only way this hammer is going forward is by me pulling the trigger. That's it. Right. If I pull it halfway back, now I'm in the half cock mode. Right. It's not going to go past that half cock mode. So you're never going to have enough force on this hammer to activate the firing pin 
to strike your cartridge to cause a, a discharge. So, John, in essence, what we're trying to ask, and that was an outstanding demonstration, is that Alec Baldwin's story is totally a lie because there is no way, minus pulling that trigger, that that, that uh, firing pin can go forward. Uh, even he's claiming he pulled it back and it, it sl- he let it go and it fired. That's not yeah. happening. Well, here's the thing. I have a little more time than I had talked about before, too. So we can go on a little bit if you want. But uh, yeah, well, you guys are hams. I knew you'd be a ham, but it's all right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I didn't. I didn't need the whole screen for that. Well, so so a firearm. When you get a you get a firearm, and uh, and you send it to ballistics. What everybody used to call ballistics. It's it's really the firearm identification unit. What do they do there when you send them a firearm? John, could I could I could I just stop you real quick? I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I wanted to make a point about the cylinder. Could you hold up the uh, do it with yeah, do it with that one first, and just show everybody that when you pull back the hammer, that the 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 cylinders move. Now, right. if it's if it's half cocked, which that one can't be half cocked, right? Okay, so it it, it has a timing that will place the bullet in the chamber at the specific point where the firing pin can hit it. Now, when you do it on that one, it, it does the same thing. It, 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 it turns the cylinder mm-hmm. in a, I think on that one, it's a clockwise direction. Yeah. It's a clockwise direction. Mm-hmm. So if it's, if it's only halfway and he was to let it go, the bullet that's inside the chamber wouldn't be in the position. The timing would be off. So basically what he said can't be. I mean, am I understanding that correctly? That, that, that's a great point. So I'll give you another uh, another thing here. This is called a cylinder stop. You see that little bump right there? Yes. That's a cylinder stop, right? So when I move, uh, let's see, when I move, the, when I pull the trigger, you see it going down? Yes. See the cylinder stop go down, right? And now there's, there's another item back here that advances the cylinder, right? So so the back of the cylinder has like a ratchet on it. So here you have an arm that that engages with the ratchet and the cylinder stop drops down. And that's how every time you pull the trigger, you see how the, these are called flutes. You see how I move to the next flute, right? And like you said, Phil, that's a great point. What happens is it aligns the next cartridge with the firing pin. So it right. it, li- it lines up the cartridge so the firing pin can hit it. So when yeah. it's halfway, that would mean that it's only halfway in position, that the timing would be off. If if he claims that he let the hammer go at halfway point, that it still wouldn't have gone off because the firing pin wouldn't have struck the round. Is that correct? Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. And so, like, you ever see on TV when they, when, when they, when they, uh, they spin this thing and you hear a ratchet sound? That's TV. It doesn't, it doesn't really do that, right? So if you partially depress the trigger, now that cylinder stop is down, and now you get that ratcheting sound, right? So basically, this is in a random position. It could be anywhere. It could be it could be lined up with a cartridge, or it could be somewhere in the middle. But it's not it's not going to drop. First of all, you know, it's not going to fall to begin with, right? So we'll go back to this one. I mean, John, hand- John, can I just play? what Alec Baldwin said again, and then you can dissect it based on what your your demonstration is. All right. And uh, 
Just cheat it down and tilt it down a little bit like that. And I cock the gun, I go, can you see that? Can you see that? Can you see that? And she says, and then I let go of the hammer of the gun and the gun goes off. That's a great story, right? It wasn't the original story that uh, that he was doing a cross draw. That was, I remember reading that. You know, John, just if I may just uh, segue to a different thing and we'll get right back to you is that one of the things that he may not realize and maybe his attorneys don't, the original statement that you make is the most important statement. So he's changing up his story right now. And I don't know why ABC News with uh, George uh, Stephanopoulos is his public relations firm. It doesn't make any sense to me. First of all, why are you going on national TV to tell your story? You know, but your story will be told in a courtroom and whether it's criminal or civil, that remains to be seen. He's softening up the jury pool. Well, you know what it is, John, and I have said this a million times. If I was running this investigation and I had to go, and I'll show you a picture of the little um, house where this occurred, that was the house where the shooting occurred inside of. There were 16 people inside there. What I would try to do, and I, I don't know if they had enough personnel to do this, is take all 16 people that were present during this shooting and somehow separate them, have them all turn off their cell phones so they didn't have um, any connection with the outside world or, or a lawyer or anything like that, and interview them one at a time separately. And then once all 16 were interviewed, I would convene a meeting with all the detectives and we would compare notes. And inconsistencies in the story, we would question the principles with those inconsistencies to get the truth. And that's how you get the truth. Whether that was done that night in Santa Fe, New Mexico, I don't know. I don't know how many investigators they had. I don't know how skilled their investigators are. I don't know, uh, you know, the different stories that people told, you know, people, once they speak, once they're allowed to speak to the outside world or get an attorney as is on this ABC news show, this was so rehearsed. It might as well have been a movie scene, you know, I'm sure so, like anything else in his life, you know, John, you know, you, you were talking about the cross draw. Now, he, he, yeah. it, it, early in that interview, he mentioned that they were setting up to do that scene, but the, him and Helena Hutchins were trying to get a shot of the pistol being pointed, I guess, in the direction of the camera. I guess that was going to be like he was going to he was supposedly shot before this scene takes place and he's bleeding. He's in the church and then he cross draws the pistol. And I guess they were trying to get the shot of the pistol at the camera. That's where I think things went a little haywire. And he mentioned in the interview that he would never, he's trained not to point the gun at anybody, whether it's blanks or, or dummy rounds or whatever. But he said that she was directing him. I can't see it. Point it this way. Go to the right. Go to the left. So he's he's putting a lot of the onus on her there, uh, obviously. But I, I I think you know I was involved in two shootouts in my career as as a police officer, and one of the times, the first shootout I was in, uh, there was so much adrenaline flowing. I thought I fired one round and then a little brief pause and then a second round. And I actually fired three rounds the first time and I only fired one the second time. So when I, I actually had to go back and check my gun, you know, I was yeah. brand new on the police force. Uh, you know, it was all adrenaline. It all happened in about two or three seconds, but I did have to go back. Now the point I'm bringing up about that is 
he may not have realized that he pulled that trigger accidentally because in a cock position, John, I think you made the point. It's probably about a half a pound of pressure needed to release that hammer onto the bullet. So now he's probably in the interview, it's weeks later, he suddenly decides to come out and, and talk about, you know, all the details of what happened. But I got to tell you, when I watched it last night, I said, I'm going to be very, very objective about it. Uh, I know that it's a horrible thing that he must be going through, that he caused uh, the death of someone through an accident. But I have to say, through most of the interview, I was about 50-50 on, you know, feeling bad for him and saying, all right, maybe this is a lot of uh, fluff. But at the very end of it, when Stephanopoulos asked him, do you feel any guilt? And he said, no, I think that that's friggin'. I don't, I, 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 I almost curse. I think it's friggin' disgusting because if someone was to cut the brake lines on my car and I pulled out of my driveway and I ran over a, a, a kid on a bike or something like that, God forbid, even though my car couldn't stop because someone cut my brake lines, I would feel disgusting, horrible, and I would feel guilty. And I think Alec Baldwin lied about that. Mm -hmm. If he doesn't feel guilty, he's a super narcissist. If it's not a lie, he's just a super narcissist. Phil, Phil I think he was coached to say that. I really do. I, th I think an attorney told him to say that. Say you weren't guilty because that sort of exonerates you. You have right. no guilt because you have no responsibility uh, in this. I guarantee uh, some Jacobian Myers type told him that. You know, if he would have said, if he would, I'm sorry, John. Go ahead. Yeah, like maybe he should have changed it to remorse. Yeah. Well, I feel well like here's the thing. Here's the thing. I think he exactly what you said, Bill. One hundred percent. The attorneys got to him and they said, if you use the word guilty or that it's somehow your fault, forget criminals. Civilly, that's it. It's over. Open and shut case. I mean, it's basically an open and shut case anyhow. But that makes it that much worse. Where and he brought this up at the very end too. They can. There's there's a limit on the insurance policies when you do a production like this. But if it's really really egregious, you can go after the person personally. And that's what I think he's trying to protect there by saying it. How could he not feel guilt? The gun was in his friggin' hand. I don't care that the rounds weren't supposed to be there. The bottom line is, is that the gun was in his hand when it went off and it killed that young lady. And it's disgusting that he said that he, he doesn't have any guilt. I'm sick of it. You know, I, I just want to address this one question from, it's a good question from the chat. Callie Rose, has anyone ever stated if they took fingerprints off the bullet shell, uh, the shell casing, because that right there would answer all questions. Whoever loaded it knew it was live. Well, one of the things I've spoken about numerous times, it's very difficult to get fingerprints off of firearms and uh, shells because when a firearm is fired, it gets very hot. And fingerprints are made from oils in your skin. So the heat dissipates those oils. And I, I, would, I would still say try to get uh, a fingerprint off it, yeah. But very, very rare, as John Pellucci, the crime scene expert, can testify to to get a fingerprint. There's a lot of new technology out there, though, too. That that's that that, that makes it easier, right? And and here's the thing: this is a 45 long Colt. This is this is what they were firing, right? So uh, basically, like a cartridge type has a name. Like you heard a 40 S and W. That's because Smith and Wesson invented that that uh, caliber. So this is a 45 long Colt. And if you look, there's a lot of surface here, right? Versus, let me see. This is a 22, right? So if I'm touching this 22, there's not much surface for me to deposit fingerprints on. 
you compare the 22, let's compare them with the long Colt, and you, you see that there's a lot more surface area. And Bill, you got a great point because, you know, fingerprints are mostly water and you get the heat and uh, the water's going to evaporate. There, there's a lot of new technology out there, uh, like with hydrogen peroxide and gun blue, where you ever, you ever touch a piece of silver and you look and you've actually left like a perfect fingerprint on it. So the, the degradation that the oils cause on the brass can actually be brought out to, uh, to, to develop a print. And what's good about John, it. John, I was going to say, I always wear gloves whenever I touch a shell casing, just in case. Yeah. You know. <laughs> We're not dealing with the most advanced criminal minds over here. But I just wanted to tell you also, um, so what could what could save him criminally would be an operability test. So you send a firearm into the firearms identification unit, which uh, we used to call ballistics all the time. But there's two things that happen. The first thing they do is an operability test. They take the gun apart. Is, is this gun functioning, right? Are the safety features working? That's what they're going to determine. And if the operability test determines that all these half all these safety features were functioning, that puts it in the hands of the person whose hand the, the gun was in, as far as liability, as far as uh, you know, whatever the intent was. So, so then, John, an operability test would totally thwart what he just said. Well, here's the thing. He let go of the hammer and it went forward and fired. So remember they said cross draw, right? Yeah. You ever go to a range and they say no cross draw holsters? Yes. You know why? Because look, you just menace 10 people by just by pulling it out, right? If you pull it out from your hip, you, you take it from, from this position to the person you're trying to shoot, right? So that's that's a regular draw. Cross draw, I just menaced everybody over here and over here and over here, right? So they've all been in front of my muzzle. But but th see these guns, and this is how you did it in the cowboy days. You hear me? You hear the you hear it go uh, the hammer go back when I drew it. That's how you have to practice with these things. You you draw and cock it at the same time because if you draw it right and the hammer's down, I could pull this trigger all day. So that would be two moves. I'd have to draw it, aim it, cock it, right? Versus drawing and cocking at the same time, right? That's how the cowboys things work. My question for him is, if all you're doing is aligning the gun to the camera, why in the world is your finger on the hammer of the gun, right? Does that make sense? Well, because that was, he was coached to say that. That's not really what happened. Right, exactly. But so, so why in the world would like, so, so say you want, like, you could see this gun, right? Say you want to look right down the muzzle of this gun, right? Bill, you tell me which way to point it, right? Right. Of course, I'm not pointing it at you. I'm pointing it at a, at a camera, right? But if you say like, okay, go up, down, up, what, right? If I'm, if I have any notion on how to safely handle a firearm, whether or not my finger's on the trigger, why am I pulling back on the hammer? Why? What? What? Well, he claimed he claimed that she asked him to do that. He, he said, uh, "Do you want me to cock it?" And she said, "Yeah." And he said, "Can you see that? Can you see that? Can you see that?" But, you know, you know, this whole thing was self-serving, it appeared to me. And I really tried to be objective about it. But yeah. there's something that was not brought up in that interview. And Stephanopoulos talked about it like it was one of the best interviews ever. But they never talked about the fact that there was target practice on the property in the couple of days before this incident happened, that they were using that specific gun in target practice. So that's how the bullets got on the, uh, get on the property. Whoever was, was it that was taking target practice supplied bullets or, uh, I don't know who supplied them, but 
there was obviously live rounds if they were taking target practice with that gun. I so heard that. Never that. brought it up, and Baldwin never addressed it. You see, this is a semi-automatic, right? Colt 1911, right? So, uh, something happened. Right? This is inert. This is a fake gun. It never, it never was a gun. It never had a firing pin. Why are they, why are they using real firearms on a movie set? Like well, that's a, that's I, a I, good I, question. You know, I, 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 John, I want to play it again because I want to see if what he said is even possible. So I take the gun and I start to cock the gun. I'm not going to pull the trigger. I, I said, "Do you see that?" She goes, "Well, just cheat it down and tilt it down a little bit like that." And I cock the gun. I go, "Can you see that? Can you see that? Can you see that?" And she says, and then I let go of the hammer of the gun, and the gun goes off. Yeah, I let go of the hammer of the gun. The gun goes. We've been through that exercise, right? So, so let's, let's just let's just clear that up for our audience, John. So that that is a oh, totally yeah. Right now, yep. now you see the firing pin. No firing pin. Pull the trigger. We got a firing pin, right? It's a it's a BS story. You know that gun would have to be. You know, very, very defective for that to be true. And then, then once, once again, we go back to the single action. You cock it. You're not getting past that half cock again, right? It's a half cock. Right. It's going to fall back to half cock. So, John, just to slam the door on this story, his story is implausible, providing the gun comes back as operable and not damaged in any way and his story is blown to smithereens right. it's not if it's not defective right so you have two things you have uh accidental discharge and unintentional firing right accidental discharge is just that it's an accident there's it couldn't be avoided like it's uh there was a problem you know like an accident my brakes went out i had an accident right an unintentional firing is a firearm that's fully functional that you did not mean to fire it but you did so you know put your big boy pants on and and uh start telling the truth you know but uh, you know like you know how it is we're this this is a, a a jury pool uh tainting practice that's what this is you know it goes out well, there so, 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 cries i mean he's an actor he can do whatever he wants right let me so, just I, let me just yeah. play a little bit more of this interview and just to see some of the other things that he tries to distance himself from with an assist from uh george snuffleupagus there you know uh <laughs> the gun of the gun goes off. I let go of the hammer of the gun, the gun goes off. At the moment. The decisive that was the moment, moment the gun went off, yeah. That was the moment the gun went off. It wasn't in the script for the trigger to be pulled. Well, the trigger wasn't pulled. I didn't pull the trigger. So no. you never pulled the trigger? No, 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 no. I, I would never point a gun at anyone and pull a trigger at them, never. never. That was the training that I had. You don't point a gun at me and, and pull the trigger. On day one... Of my instruction in this business, people said to me, never take a gun and go click, 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 click. Because even though it's incremental, you damage the firing pin on the gun if you do that. Don't do that. And Hall's attorney told ABC News that he was watching and agrees that Alec did not pull the trigger and that his finger was outside the trigger guard. See, how does yeah. he how does he agree that he did not pull the trigger? Was he there? Yeah, yeah. I agree too, Alec. I believe you. I mean, yeah. it's, it's the most ridiculous statement. 
He agrees that he did not pull the trigger. The hammer as far back as I could without cocking the actual. And you're holding on to the hammer. I'm holding that. I'm just showing. I go, how about that? Does that work? Do you see that? Do you see that? She goes, yeah, that's good. I let go of the hammer. Bang, the gun goes off. Everyone is horrified. They're shocked. Uh, it's loud. They don't have their earplugs in. No one was. The gun was supposed to be empty. I was told I was handed an empty gun. If there were cosmetic rounds, nothing with a charge at all, a flash round, nothing. She goes down. I thought to myself, did she faint? The notion that there was a live round in that gun did not dawn on me till probably 45 minutes to an hour later. 45 minutes to an hour? Well, she's laying there and I go, did she hit it by wadding? Was there a blank, sometimes those blank rounds? That sounded like a, uh, a follow the yellow brick road. You know, he goes 45 minutes to an hour, a follow yeah. the yellow brick road. I mean, like, are you kidding me, Stephanopoulos? How intense that was. Yeah. Because remember, the idea that someone put a live bullet in the gun was not even in reality. Did you go up to her? Did you back I went away? up to her and then we were immediately we were told to get out of the building. We were forced to get out of the building. The medics came in. I mean, I stood over her for 60 seconds and she just lay there kind of in shock. Was she conscious? Uh, my recollection is yes. Director Joel Souza is also wounded. His shoulder hit by the same bullet that traveled through Helena. When she went down, he went down, and he was screaming really loudly, and I thought, what is he screaming? What happened? So was it loaded with a real bullet or one? I don't, I cannot tell you that. Okay. We have two injuries from a movie gun shot. Okay. We're getting them out there already. Just stay on the phone with me. Okay. Within 15 minutes or 20 minutes after that, the police arrived and took the church set and put the crime tape around it, the yellow tape, and forced us all to the perimeters of the parking area where we sat and waited. She was in the church. And she was not taken out of the church for quite a while. In the aftermath, there was chaos and confusion. But nobody told you what happened? No, no. It, was, it wasn't until I was in the police station. Hours later, I mean, it was like seeing aliens. It was, it was, it was utter disbelief over the idea. It was unacceptable, the idea that it was a live round. And finally, one of the police officers at the conclusion of my interview, I was there for like an hour and a half or so. She takes her phone and she slides it across to me. She says, that's what came out of Joel's shoulder. A 45 caliber slug it was a real bullet. Had you known that Joel had been hit? No one had any idea until that police officer, that sheriff's officer said to me, this is the slug, 45 caliber slug they took out of Joel's arm. And then the kind of insanity-inducing agony of thinking that someone put a live bullet in the gun. Here's, here's a couple uh, things. He admits he had training, right? He right. Training. Good point, John. So this isn't just totally innocent. So he's kind of hanging himself there. Uh, so the gun perforates her and lodges in the next guy, right? If she's lying down, right? First of all, like uh, you see, you see blood when you have a perforating wound, or or like say I get shot in the chest and I fall forward, right? Now gravity's going to take the blood out of me. 
she falls backwards or whatever. I'm not sure what he said, but she's got. I think, I think she was hit under her armpit, John, under yeah. her right armpit, I believe, and it uh, traveled across and and must have exited the left side of her body. That's what I think. I'm not 100 percent on that. I'm, I'm interested in what vessels got uh, transected because you might have some arterial uh, projection coming out of some of the wounds. But for her to, you know, I mean, if 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 the uh, if one of the bullet holes is in a dependent area then you're going to have a lot of blood loss and for 45 minutes to an hour. That's uh, you know, that's like, a you know, John, I, I find it hard to believe that he stood over her and he didn't realize she was shot. And, and, and was she conscious? He's like, uh, uh, um, uh, yeah, I think she was like, I mean, his performance is, is not Oscar worthy. And it, it was a very much a coached performance. Uh, and, and, you know, and I'm disgusted with uh, George Stephanopoulos the, if he thinks that was an intense interview, he needs to go back to interview school 101, you know? Here's, uh, here's some more stuff too, right? So uh, they probably, if there was any filming going on, and there's always something running in those things, right? Everything's got a time and a date stamp on it, right? I like to compare the gunshot time and date stamp to the 911 call because the caller says it was an accidental, like you know, the caller sounded like she was coached, too. Exactly. And yeah. that is the first rule of crime scene staging, that when you make that 911 call, you put the story on tape. That's how you start staging your crime scene, right? So that blew me away when she said it was an accidental, something like that. Right? Yes, yeah. She's setting the It's almost like someone was coaching the 911 exactly. call. So, you so know, another, like another John, another part of this interview uh, – Stephanopoulos, in his true beach ball question way, says, you were a producer on this movie, too? And he was like, oh, none of my responsibilities had anything to do with safety or personnel or this. I right. was in, char I was, I was in charge of washing the towels, you know? <laughs> well, again, that's probably coaching by the attorneys, and he's looking to give himself, uh, you know, as least culpability as possible, both civilly and criminally. So, uh yeah, I, I, I don't know. And look at that time and date stamp from the if if they have something because people take pictures. It, there's got to be something running. Even if there's an audio running, you can get uh you can get information off of that. So you can time when the shot was fired and when the nine one one call was made. Right. They, so they claim that she was uh, watching the actual uh, pistol uh, through the camera. Uh, by monitor, but that the camera wasn't rolling. I don't know if that's the case. That's what uh, has been reported. But you know what? I'd also like to know, guys, who did he call in the moments after this? Did he yeah, call exactly. uh, his lawyer? Uh, was there text messages back and forth? I think those things are, uh, uh, you know, going to be important. They'll, they'll be looked at because if there is text messages, uh, you know, maybe he, he said something like, oh, my God, I, I, I shot Helena. Uh, yeah. You know, I didn't mean to pull the trigger or something to that effect, you know. So I'm yeah. sure they're looking into that, too, as well. And I would imagine the uh, the investigation should have been run the way Billy said early on in this uh, in this episode that, you know, um, they should have all been separated. They should have been a real good, hard interview. Uh, you know, the, 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 the first time that you relate the story is usually the most accurate. So, uh, and then, like you said, Bill, I would like to, you know, get everybody together, 
if there's minor inconsistencies, okay. But if there's a major inconsistency, that's the person we're going to talk to, you know. 100%. CR Patrick, thank you so much for the $5 super sticker, folks. This is Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories. If you're not subscribed to us on YouTube, please go to our YouTube page, hit the subscribe button, ring the bell, give us a thumbs up. We have a Patreon. Uh, you can join, become a member of our Patreon, or become a member of our YouTube family, denoted by the green font in the uh, in the chat. Thank all of you folks that are members of our, our YouTube family. Uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, this is a, 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 a story that, I mean, it, it get it got national news, but he put himself in the national spotlight by, and I don't fully understand why ABC as a network is becoming his public relations firm and letting him uh, put out a self-serving statement, and they're giving him an assist by lending. Billy, I don't know if you saw it, but at the end of the episode, Stephanopoulos Productions was splashed across the screen for their clothes, so. Oh. You know his uh, his production company takes uh, takes credit for that episode last night, and uh, you know that there's uh, there's money behind that. That's even more pathetic. I mean, because it's like, why is he getting a pass on, you know, giving his story on on a network station in prime time? I think eight o'clock is pretty prime time on a Thursday night, isn't it? Absolutely, that is prime time, and um, you know he he was. Had some reporters following him uh, a week or two after the incident. He pulled over. He made a brief statement. He said, I don't want you guys following anymore, but I can't talk about it. It's an active police investigation. He had no problem talking yeah, right, about right, it. Right, right, right. He couldn't. Yeah, right. But now he's talking as if, like, uh, when it's self-serving me, I'll talk for an hour and 20 minutes, you yeah. know? Yeah. And then when I saw um, Stephanopoulos being interviewed by um, other uh, reporters from ABC, he was like, it was one of the most intense. I felt no intensity from that interview whatsoever. What I did feel was like I wanted to play volleyball with the huge beach ball. He kept throwing him with every damn question he asked him. You know, yeah. He he, he should have drew down on right from the jump. Tell us what happened from the time the gun got in your hand. It was kind of uh, you know they were talking about the victim and everything, which is okay, I guess. But we're not here you know, to hear about, you know, all the lovely things that this production has done in his career as a, as a movie star. We wanted to hear what happened. And, uh, you know, they didn't even talk about, like I said before, they didn't even talk about the fact that they were using this gun for target practice. Um, I, I did text with Steve Gardell, who's a uh, retired sergeant from the movie TV unit. And he gave me some information. A cold gun could be loaded with a dummy round or what he called a... Resin, a resin gun. A resin gun is a gun that's it, it's not capable of firing a projectile at all. That's what they use in New York. They don't use a gun. It could be uh, a real gun. Look, but there's something inside the barrel. There's a piece of steel that's welded inside the barrel so that even if a real round was loaded into the gun, it wouldn't project out. It would probably uh, explode the gun. So um, that's what needs to be the national standard, I think. Why are we using uh, an old-style Colt 45 revolver that a, a, a real round got mixed in and this young lady is dead and the other guy got shot in the shoulder? It's not – it's just – it's terrible. It's disgusting. Yeah, he would, he would also notice uh, if he's used to firing those blanks, right, when you fire uh, a bullet – out of the muzzle, you're going to have, 
you're going to have more recoil, right? You're going to have a difference in recoil from that. Like what? So how does he not know that something was off? You know, that, that, that's a great point, John, because he says how many times he's used firearms in in the forty year career. He he's been he was trained on firearms. He's got uh, many many movies where he's firing firearms. So and I'm sure he knows the difference between a blank something that's loaded with just a uh, primer charge mm -hmm. and a real gun. So yeah, Billy, let's do a quick uh, break right here. Okay, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna. Night for you guys. All right, John, you want to dip out? Thank you so much, John Pellucci. Yeah. John, you, thank you very much. It was great hey, meeting you, John. Crime scene, crime scene you, investigators. I, I want to put your face back on the screen. If you guys need a crime scene investigator, crime scene investigator experts incorporated, John's has his own website. He goes and investigates some of the biggest homicides and mysteries in the nation. He's all over the place. He's very uh, well compensated. We used to call his company Forensics for free. No more. Now he's getting paid. Always for you guys. <laughs> That's right. John, thank you so much for your they expertise. Got the cut has the expert. Thank you very much. And, and John, before you leave, I just want to slam the door on two things. What Alec Baldwin said as far as pulling the hammer back is an impossibility unless the gun was damaged in some way. Is yes. that correct? Yeah. That's correct. So his story was totally a fabrication. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. There you have it, folks, from an expert. John, thank you so much. All I'll, right. I'll give you a call soon. Bye Sounds now. Sounds good. You all have a good night. Thanks, man. You too. Take care, John. Okay, Joe Murray, attorney at law. Have you found yourself in a jam? Are you in need of legal counsel in the New York area? Do you need a victim's advocate? Well, Joe Murray is your man. He's not only an experienced trial attorney, he's also a retired 15-year member of the NYPD. He literally knows both sides of the fence. His website is jmurray-law.com. His telephone number is 646-838-1702. Or you could email Joe at joe at jmurray-law.com. Thank you, Philly. You know, folks, one of the weeks, Phil and I spoke about this investigation. And it's, it's always easy for someone now to change their story. However, in both a criminal case and a civil case, the most important statement is the statement you make right after the occurrence taken by the police. That's why the police try to get in there. The detectives get in there very quickly. They try to stop you from making phone calls. They want to get that the truth down. They want to go over the truth. They want to compare the truth with other statements. They want to meet with the other detectives and then confront discrepancies in the stories and then lock the person into that statement have it memorialized on a piece of paper, have the person sign it and close it out. And that is their statement. So the next day when they meet with their attorney and they go, oh, I said this in the statement. Well, the attorney can think of like what he, Al Baldwin, how he was coached for this TV show. And I don't know why his attorneys uh, coached him to say something that's not possible, that he let go of the, of the hammer and it went forward and, and uh, the firing pin hit the round and it, it fired uh, an impossibility. So he wasn't coached very well. And, uh, you know, that's one of the, the reasons for great investigators, great interviewers, great interrogators to get the truth down. Now, I don't know if, in fact, uh, how good of an investigation we, we all won't know for, for weeks from now. Uh, this was the chief on the scene. He was the spokesperson the chief of the Santa Fe uh, Police Department. Now, I I don't know how many investigators they sent to that scene. That scene must have been very confusing and uh, very tough. Like, 
if they didn't get there really soon, all right, how many people were in that house? Who are they? Where are they? Now we got to separate. We got to speak to all of them separately. Chances are, if the police didn't get there for a half hour, 45 minutes, an hour, everyone in that house had a chance to call the outside world and talk amongst each other and come up with a story. Now it's the police job uh, to get to the bottom of it. When Alec Baldwin said that story about the investigator showed him a picture on her phone of the 45 caliber <clears throat> projectile that was taken out of uh, Joel, the uh, director's shoulder. I don't know if I would have showed him that uh, as an investigator. I don't know if what purpose that served. Um, that might have been something that the police would have held uh, close to the vest. What are, you, what are your feelings on that, Philly? Well, basically, he was saying that he had no idea what uh, Helena to uh, go unconscious. Uh, did she faint? Uh, he was saying he wasn't sure if it was some kind of, uh, you know, on a blank, there's these uh, uh, resin or these, uh, whatever they call it, that is on the outside of the uh, of the shell casing. He thought it might have been that. But, you know, he, he tried to put himself out of culpability. But when you're the producer, an on-site producer, on-location producer, you have an added responsibility and a duty to protection of the safety of the crew. And, you know, uh, he, he doesn't seem to have, uh, you know, uh, satisfied those uh, requirements of a producer, an on-site producer, because we know from the previous days before or previous weeks, there was uh, people that were very unhappy on the set. They were, uh, they were saying that it was just unsafe. There had been several uh, times uh, where an accidental discharge occurred with when they were doing these scenes with the firearms. Um, one of the people actually walked out of there that day. I believe it was an assistant cameraman. He walked out on that day. He uh, made a remark about safety. I mean, he, he sent an email saying that uh, things were out of control. Uh, it wasn't safe. The armorer was obviously an in inexperienced person. And I don't want to put the blame on her. Um, whoever did bring rounds to the location, to the, to, to, to the set obviously is culpable in some way, shape or form because they should, they shouldn't have been there. Um, they were talking about possibly target practice in the days before. So whoever that was, that was taking target practice, that tells me red flag. That's where, how the bullets got on set. Uh, they're trying to make out that there was some type of a, uh, disgruntled employee that planted, a. uh, 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 a live round in and mixed in with the dummy ammunition or the blank ammunition. Um, I don't know how likely that is. Uh, I don't know what their safety protocols were with regard to where they stored the ammunition and stuff. So if the ammunition's in, in a locked box, it would be pretty hard to get in there and place this dummy round. It would have to be unattended and unlocked. So th they're coming up with some conspiracies. I think that's again, uh, another ploy to try to take, the onus and the culpability off of Alec and the production itself. So, um, you know, uh, these are things I'm sure that the law enforcement officers are digging deep in. And again, uh, Bill, you made some good points when, when if the people weren't se separated and they had their cell phones, I'd be dr uh, dumping all the cell phones to see what text messages were related back and forth. Because if a person makes a, a statement and says, geez, you know, I was over here with my head down, but they made a, a text message uh, immediately following the incident saying, I just saw Helena Hutchins get shot and she's dead. Something well, Philly, how, how coached was the 911 call? 
I mean, you could hear that was even coached. Very calm, very calm, yeah. uh, using specific uh, language. So it did seem like uh, that was kind of uh, maybe stage. I, I, I would think, you know, if you're a human being, I would think that somebody, there was supposedly 16 people in a room, if Hutchins is down and she's unconscious and it appears that she's, you know, uh, maybe they, maybe if there wasn't a lot of blood, I mean, I think John was bringing up the point that, you know, she got shot under her armpit, uh, traveled across her chest and exited on the on the left side of her body. It probably hit some major organs and arteries. So there probably was blood. But if, if she bled inside and there wasn't a lot of blood, um, if somebody falls ill and they're unconscious, it, you know, you're calling 911. Uh, there, there may be medics uh, on a set, but, uh, you know, it, it, a medic would pick up within, you know, five seconds of being in front of that person's body that they were shot, you know? Billy, let so, me play a little bit more of this. Uh, let's sure, see what... Sure. have told me since the very first day I met him that Alec did not pull that trigger. But investigators say a 45 caliber bullet was in the gun, killing Hutchins and wounding the director, Joel Souza. Someone put a live bullet in a gun, a bullet that wasn't even supposed to be on the property. Uh, someone is responsible for what happened, and I can't say who that is. Detectives have searched the shop where some of the guns and ammunition were purchased, but the owner says neither he nor his company were the source of the live bullets. They found four rounds that were close enough to take in with them. They're not a match, but they were close. The attorney for the armorer on set, Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, who was in charge of the guns, says his client has no idea where the live rounds came from and suggested the incident was sabotage. Baldwin disagrees. It's overwhelmingly likely that it was an accident. The district attorney handling the case also says she does not believe it was sabotage. Meanwhile, two crew members have filed lawsuits against the movie's producers, including Baldwin, alleging safety concerns on the set, claims that Baldwin and the producers deny. I did not observe any safety or security issues at all in the time I was there. Baldwin says he's cooperating with authorities. The idea that a real bullet was in that gun and would come out of that gun and kill that woman, that, that was not even in the realm of possibility. And that's the thing that they must find out is where, who brought bullets onto. You know, the way he talks that the idea that a real bullet was put in that gun and killed that woman. He sounds like Bill Clinton. I did not have sex with that woman. That woman. You know, <laughs> you, you know what else too, Billy? He's, he's making, um, he's making statements about that. He didn't observe anything that was unsafe or um, uh, dangerous, but then he talks about, uh, other things in there. So he, he, he knows that some things are going on, but he doesn't know that others are going on. He, he, he talked about how one of the people that was leaving, uh, said, you know, something about the hotel was too far away. And he says, all right, I'll take some of my money and I'll put it towards a hotel for you guys, uh, to, to, you know, I guess to circumvent the problem, he was going to give some of his salary back to get a better hotel for these people. So he knew that there was something going on. You don't think that the guy that told him about the hotel that was an hour away told him about the unsafe conditions. He's saying he doesn't know about it, but he does. He has he to. Know, he knows nothing. To the know. set. Baldwin says he decided to speak out because he couldn't wait for the investigation to be completed before telling his side of the story. As for his future, he says he can't imagine doing a movie with a gun in it again. Andrew, Mona. Andrea, thank you. <laughs> 
that's called getting out in front of it. His attorney said, you know, it might be a good idea to get out in front of this thing. Uh, listen, I don't know if there's going to be criminal charges. If that gun is examined by a lab and John brought up the point, maybe the gun has a de defect in it where it could have actually, actually been pulled back and the, the firing pin could strike around. I don't know, based on what we saw, how the barrel, uh, the not the barrel, the cylinder rotates as it's being cocked back and the, the bullet wouldn't be in position to have the firing pin strike it if it wasn't fully uh, cocked back all the way. So uh, again, it could be out of whack, the gun. It could have a defect that would make it 100% an accident. But again, how does a live round get on the set uh, of this movie production? Wasn't supposed to be there. Who was it that was in charge of these firearms? Who was it that was taking uh, um, uh, target practice in the days prior? How did there uh, come to be two, at least two, accidental discharges in the previous days of filming? These are all questions that I think will lead to, uh, obviously, obviously a, a, a civil action, a tremendous civil action, probably a slam dunk. And if there is criminal charges, those are the things that would be being looked at for sure. Do you think there's uh, I mean, I, my feeling is that there is a room for a uh, criminally negligent homicide charge. And we discussed this early on when we covered that case. Absolutely. There are three potential people uh, that could be charged with criminally negligent homicide. And that would be the armorer. Um, Miss Reed, uh, the assistant director, Mr. Halls, That's and right. of course, Alec Baldwin, who denies any knowledge of anything, you know, but, uh, that gun was in his hand when it went off. So whether he pulled the hammer back as he claims, and it just it let go of it and, and, uh, caused the round to go off, uh, you know, as John Pellucci said, Minus the gun being inoperable, that's an impossibility. That could not happen. So all these, I mean, I argue with all these uh, Facebook ballistic experts, and then you find out, you know, they work at uh, Carvel or something, you know, like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> what? what is your expertise for to telling me that a gun can just go off without uh, pulling the trigger? You know, so many people say that. And I was always taught in my limited ballistics um knowledge which i had of 27 years of, of the nypd training was that for a gun to go off you have to pull the trigger even if it's cocked it's not going to go off you can drop it you can throw it against the wall it's not going to go off unless you pull the trigger so his story about pulling the hammer back and letting it go you saw how when he pulled it back it locked into place unless you pull it back like a half an inch or an inch and then it's not going to have the the force uh, to hit the uh, projectile, to hit the firing. And, and, uh, and the projectile, because of what we were talking about with the cylinder, it wouldn't be in position. So if it's half, if it's halfway cocked and the cylinder isn't fully turned in position to get the, to get the round. So it's going to go in the halfway point. Now, again, he, John brought up the point. If it's a defective gun, that's possible. I guess it could go off some way somehow, but again, you have all these other things, Bill, I think you're right. I think, uh, the criminal liability is on Alec, is on the assistant director, and is on the armorer. Those are the three people that are in the trick bag at this point to be charged with a crime. Um, you know, I, I, I guess they have to really dissect all the information 
they have to dissect uh, the the uh, examination of that firearm real well, and then they have to find out how to the the actual live. And there was other live rounds recovered on the set as well. That's the other thing they didn't talk about. It wasn't just one round. I think there were two other live rounds in the gun, and they recovered. I think it was maybe as, as many as a hundred live rounds somewhere within that movie set. So uh, even if it was five more live rounds, there shouldn't have been any live rounds. You know, this is how accidents happen. Gunplay is not a joke. Uh, that's why we're trained. And John demonstrated it. He made sure that he was going to demonstrate the gun. It was empty. He showed there was no rounds in the cylinders. So uh, again, they, they stress from the minute you, uh, get any type of firearms training as a police officer or if you do civilian training, the first thing they talk about is safety, 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 and they don't stop talking about it throughout the training. And the reason is, is because if a gun goes off either accidentally or, you know, unintentionally, it could have super damaging effects like in this incident we have here. For sure. Alicia B., I've dropped my gun other than scaring myself after death. Nothing happened. Exactly. The gun doesn't go off by dropping it, but people will say that that can happen. For television, I, Billy, you, you see this in movies and TVs. They drop the gun and it goes off for, for whatever, you know, dramatic uh, scene they're trying to, to, you know, to to reenact or whatever. But generally speaking, like uh, John stated, the gun is a, a, an operable gun and it has all these different features that uh, are working properly within the gun. It's not going to go off if you drop it. Yeah. And look, I agree with a lot of you folks in the, um, in the chat is that the armor, she, she seemed to be um, in over her head. She was very inexperienced. She didn't seem to really uh, know what she was doing. And her attorneys went on, uh, national television early on in this investigation and claimed that there was sabotage. I mean, you know, we, we know what attorneys do. They try to create doubt. They're already trying to create doubt in the, uh, in the court of public opinion, you know, let's, let's throw it out there that this was, uh, you know, this was sabotage, you know, let's put that out there. I mean, obviously there's negligence here. How the hell did a live round get into that gun? That's question number two. The first question is, did Alec pull the pull the uh, trigger? I think we know that the answer to that is yes. You know, based on science, based on the demonstration that John Pellucci just did, based on the fact that I don't know what Alec said that night, the night he was interviewed. Uh, it seems like now he's changing up a lot of his story uh, to fit the narrative that his attorneys are undoubtedly telling him to say. So I'd be interested to know what was the result of the interview right after this happened. That's probably the truth. And and I'd like to know if he had an attorney present when he did make his statement, you know, Billy, because he said that he, he was speaking to the detectives uh, like an hour after the incident happened or something to that effect, you know, probably a short time after the incident happened. So did he have an attorney present with him? Um, you know, uh, listen, there's going to be other people giving statements. There were 16 people that were in that room uh, or in that church, that, that movie set. So I would like to compare what they said too. You know, uh, if anybody else says, yeah, he, he, you know, he had his finger on the trigger. That's not going to look good for him. You know, it's uh criminally negligent homicide could be lurking in his uh, future, you know?
You know, I was amazed, Phil, uh, and you you brought it up earlier in the interview, was that when he was asked, did he feel any guilt in regards to this? That turned and, my stomach. And I think that he was probably coached to say no by his attorneys. And I think that was a, the wrong statement to make because, you know, he was the one holding the gun and whether he's facing uh, the truth or he's lying about pulling the trigger, he still was the one holding the gun when it went off and killed Halna Hutchins and in, injured uh, Joe, the uh, the um, movie director. Sure. So for him to say he has no guilt, uh, that's that's coming out of the mouth of an attorney, I'm convinced. That's not coming out of his mouth. He was coached to say that, no doubt. I mean, if you're a human being and you do something, even if it's unintentional, you're still going to feel guilty about it. I'm sorry. I, I use the analogy of if, if God forbid my car goes out of control because somebody cut my brake line, I ran somebody over, even though it wasn't my fault, I, you know, I'm still going to feel terrible. I'm going I'm to feel very guilty about it. And, you know, I, I don't know. I'll use another scenario. If, if a police officer is being shot at and he fires shots back and he accidentally hits a civilian that's in the foreground beyond where the person that's shooting at him, I mean, you'd feel terrible. You'd feel you'd feel guilty about it. I, I can't see how, you know, uh, you could say anything but. And yeah, again, he may have been coached to say that uh, for the civil reasons, the criminal reasons, uh, it would it would be a, uh, almost an admission if you're saying you feel guilty, because if you're on a stand and you're asked that question, do you feel guilty? And you say, yes, I do. Uh, you know, and, and say, well, that means that, you know, you did something wrong. You, you're feeling guilty. But, you know, there's a million things that an attorney cross examining you if you're you know called to testify on a civil matter that. Uh, can make you look like, you know, that you're responsible for what happened, you know, and obviously he is obviously. Yeah. He is. I mean, it's, I, I just thought, thought it was a, uh, a poor interview. I thought it, it, the only thing it served, it was self-serving to Alec Baldwin. Let's just listen a little bit more of this. You felt anger. You felt sadness. Do you feel guilt? No, no. I feel that there is, I, I feel that, that, that uh, someone is responsible for what happened. And I can't. Not Alec. No, no not him. Baldwin now awaiting the outcome of the sheriff's investigation. Did you see how quickly he responded to that? No. no. Sure, right away. like this never happens again. What do we come out of this learning? What do we come out of it? What changes can be made? Because where you have a person where, where, as I said, this is one in a billion that someone puts a real bullet in the gun. That never happens. And the idea that a real bullet was in that gun and would come out of that gun and kill that woman, that, that was not even in the realm of possibility. And that's the thing that they must find out is where, who brought bullets onto the set? How much you think Baldwin's worth, Billy? Would you say uh, he's a millionaire? Multi-millionaire? Yeah, I'm sure he's a millionaire. Okay. I'd say he's so, probably worth about fifty million. Okay, so why don't he take a hundred thousand dollars of his hard-earned money and say, "I'm going to give a hundred thousand dollar reward if somebody can tell me how a live round got onto the set." That's all he needs to do. Put up a reward. You'll well, see. I, th I think I think he's going to part with a lot more than that once the civil suit oh, hits. Once the civil suits uh, civil suits start rolling in yeah. and the the uh, the maximum is reached on the insurance policies, then they can go into uh, personal liability. I'm not sure. Uh, you know, sometimes there's uh, 
you know, a corporation, you have the, uh, the corporate veil that extends to the, just the, the assets of the corporation, but there may be ways to go around that in such an egregious uh, thing that happened again, prior knowledge of, you know, there being uh, live rounds on the set by them taking target practice, uh, hiring an inexperienced armor if if that's the case which appears to be and then uh an on-site production has the responsibility of maintaining the safety of the crew and the actors so there's a lot of things that you know again uh, i'm not well versed in in legal stuff like that especially civil law uh that i'll leave that up to a, a joe murray or a, a mike vecchione who's obviously uh a legal correspondence for police off the cuff. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I think that uh, this, this whole interview was basically done to get out in front of it. If you ask me. Uh, and again, I, I, I said it before I was trying to be open-minded about it. I did feel a little empathy for him because, you know, I mean, listen, he's, he was at the, the scene of, of a horrible, horrible, uh, you know, a person lost their life, a horrible accident, if you want to call it that. You know, Phil, I still feel, even though, I mean, I'm, I'm not obviously a, a fan of Alec Baldwin, I still feel that this was an accident. And Oh, uh, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. but there is, there's negligence involved and it, yes. it, it, it has to be addressed, has to be investigated. Exactly. And, and uh, I would, I mean, I, I still feel bad, even for Alec Baldwin, as despicable of a human being as he is, I still feel bad that he's going through this because it's it's a horrible thing and there's no doubt he didn't mean uh to do what occurred you know he didn't mean to cause a death there's no way he meant that but you know it happened you know absolutely i i couldn't agree with you more uh i don't think he woke up that morning and said i'm going to shoot helena hutchins obviously it was an accident um but again you know uh the accident was caused by you know maybe some recklessness and, you know, who knows what was going on on that movie set in the days before, uh, you know, the, the reckless behavior of taking target practice with a prop gun. It's supposed to be a prop, even though it's a real gun, it's supposed to be used in scenes and it's like a prop gun. And, and uh, you know, who knows, maybe it was loaded with some rounds from when they were taking target practice. And then when they used it to, uh, you know, to, to shoot this scene, they just added some dummy rounds into it. Um, one of the points that I failed to bring up when we were talking earlier about the fingerprints, you'd probably be better, uh, have a better possibility of recovering fingerprints off of a shell casing, uh, when it's not been fired as opposed to ones that were fired. Because again, you brought up the point how it heats up and that could, uh, dissipate any kind of a print. But, uh, if there are rounds loaded, uh, and they're not fired, there's a better chance of possibly uh, recovering a fingerprint off of that. And I think John made a, a great point when he showed a 22 round, how tiny it was, but the 45 shell casing was bigger, much easier to accommodate uh, a fingerprint. 100%. Folks, uh, you know, I think we pretty much covered this uh, as well as we could. I think the most important thing we want to show you uh, was the, uh, the ballistics demonstration by John Pellucci. Uh, a crime scene uh, expert uh, who I think did a wonderful job. I just want to uh, let everyone know on December 5th, this Sunday at 3 p.m., we have Willie DeMeo on, who is an actor and a movie director, and he, he has a um, a TV series called Gravesend coming out. So we're going to dissect and uh, interview him on the show at 3 p.m. He, he's even more straight out of Brooklyn than Phil, I hear. So uh, if you like 
a, a, a Brooklyn festival. That day is going to be a Brooklyn festival with Phil and oh, Willie yeah. DeMeo. On uh, 12-7, we have Michelle McPhee, uh, who, who is a writer. She wrote the book Mayhem, which is about the Boston Marathon bombing. We also have uh, Cliff Moylan, who played uh, Sergeant McClellan from the Watertown Police, who shot it out with the terrorists on AF Brothers. And we're trying to get the real Sergeant McClellan from the Watertown Police. And I'm hoping he comes on. Hope he doesn't uh, back out. Because uh, I would be honored to meet this guy. Absolutely. And, and honored to talk to I think he's a great American hero for what he did that day. Um, on the 15th, we have a retired NYPD sex crime investigator, John Beza, who just wrote a book, The Complete uh, Sex Crime Investigative Handbook. Uh, on 12-16, we have Kyle and Jen Bethune. Oh, from, my God. Yeah, from Red, White, and Bethune. They are the folks that helped find uh, Gabby Petito's van that resulted in, in fact, finding Gabby Petito. Great story those people have, and I'm honored to have them on the show also. Can't wait to meet them. On 1221, we have Bath Avenue uh, crew, Jimmy Calandra coming on. We've had Jimmy Calandra come on before. He was part of organized crime. Great guy. He now has his own. All these former half a wise guys all have their own podcasts now. You know, <laughs> cops, cops and half a wise guys and real wise guys have their own podcasts. Well, you know, there was always a fine line between the two. Like when I was was first a cop and I used to go out to clubs, there would be the cops on one side of the bar and the wise guys on the other side of the bar. That's for sure. That's for sure. That's that's true. You know what, Billy? I think we might have a conflict. Did you say it was the 21st? Yes. All right. We may have to double check that day because I think I I don't know if I I thought I told you. No, you told me you didn't want it on the 20th. I might have mixed up the dates. All right. We'll figure that one out. We'll, uh, We'll get that one. Let's let's not talk scheduling live. Yes. (laughs) And on 12-22, all the way from London, Andy, the Gabby Cabby. That should be a great one, right? So we have sort of an eclectic group of guests coming on in the next few weeks, which we try to give you guys, you know, and try to uh, keep it interesting. And if we just just have stuff from real crime, I like what we, of course, we love real crime, but it's good to have an eclectic crew of people from across the uh, across the board. Philly, you got any uh, any last words? Last words. I'm looking forward to uh, Sunday show with Willie DeMeo. He grew up very close to where I grew up. Uh, he's a little younger than I am, but he's a pretty uh, successful uh, producer. He's got about I'd say about a half a dozen uh, movies that he written, produced, he starred in, and he's working on this uh, project now called Gravesend. Um, it's a, uh, sort of like an eighties era, uh, sort of like the Sopranos, I guess you could say about organized crime in, uh, the New York area. It's, uh, all fictitious, but, uh, it's got some pretty, uh, pretty powerful stuff. I actually did a little, uh, did a little work with Willie. I technical advised one day, a couple of years back on this particular, uh, series. So I know it's pretty good and, uh, looking forward to talking to him. He just, uh, recently there was, uh, some heroics that him and his, uh, crew did. I don't want to give too much away, but we'll talk about it on Sunday. They were actually just, uh, I believe somebody from the Sim- city council gave him and some other people on the crew an award the other day. So we'll get into all of that. He's a pretty, uh, successful, uh, you know, a kid from Brooklyn with a success story, basically sort of like me. Yeah, right. Exactly. All right, folks. 
Thank you so much for listening tonight. I hope we gave you uh, some good instructional material here as far as the ballistics demonstration. And as always, uh, have a great night and uh, stay safe out there. Stay safe, everybody. One episode, just in the north.